So the Supreme Court has said that the EPA can regulate carbon as a pollutant, carbon dioxide, critical to the survival of plant life on Earth, but also the byproduct of fossil fuel combustion. And this week, the president will issue federal EPA carbon regulations forcing states to comply. The goal is to reduce carbon emissions by 30 percent by the year 2030. In our first look at this issue in a week-long conversation on carbon regulation and production, we turn to Susan Tierney, who served as the Assistant Secretary for Policy at the U.S. Department of Energy under President Clinton. She's now a senior advisor at the Analysis Group. Welcome, Susan. Hi, John. So do we expect that these regulations from the, the federal government will, in a sense, compel the states to really consider cap-and-trade programs on an individual state-by-state basis? I don't think that that's the only answer that a state has in its quiver of tools. Uh, There are many states that are probably going to do that. We know a number of states already use cap-and-trade programs, such as those in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic area and California. But I think that one of the cool things about this rule is that it will allow states to really find the appropriate pathway that they want to use. Now, the Supreme Court has given absolute authority to the federal government and the EPA to regulate carbon. Is there any way that this can be challenged? Uh, States' rights have been a very big theme of uh, the administration's relationship with Congress over the last seven, six years. You're absolutely right about that. I think everybody who's following this rule, which comes out today, is assuming it will be challenged in court The EPA has been well aware of that, I'm sure, and has taken great care to make sure that they are standing on strong legal ground when they're moving forward. But as I said just a second ago, this rule is really from a part of the Clean Air Act that allows such a cooperative, flexible approach that I think many of us are hopeful that this will withstand legal contest. Who's going to have the most difficulty reaching these standards? And I suspect the coal industry is probably right in the crosshairs here. Yes, I think you're right about that. I think that the coal mining and coal production and coal sales industry, those are the groups that are going to be most concerned. Although I think it would be wrong to assume that this rule will lead to a a near-term elimination of coal from our power mix. Right now, coal makes up about a third Uh, to 40% of power production in the United States. Now that we have such cheap natural gas and plentiful natural gas, that's been eating into the coal, our use of coal anyway. So already coal is in some ways on the defensive. But I think many power companies and many states realize that there are lots of ways that they can handle this. And the the well-performing coal plants in the country are really likely to stick around for some period of time. So uh, this would accelerate a shift to natural gas in your view, but there's also some elasticity in the price of energy that is produced by coal in the sense that the coal industry could install cleaner technologies and raise the price of its commodity without producing too much inflation in the system, yes? You might be right about that. There are clearly ways that coal-fired power plants can get cleaner. It's hard right now to actually install pollution control equipment for carbon pollution. But there are things that that coal plants can do on the margin to clean up their act. Uh, That said, 
there is a lot of existing power plant capacity that is already in the ground. It's waiting to be operated. Uh, much of those are natural gas fired power plants. And if those were run ahead of coal, we could really find that pollution would go down. Plus, there's all sorts of renewable energy. There's existing nuclear plants that are operating. And then there's always energy efficiency, which means that you, if you don't need to produce as much electricity because demand is down, then that actually is probably the best way to avoid pollution. What is the precedent for states or for uh, power producers or polluters on any level simply ignoring the EPA? Well, this part of the Clean Air Act is one that EPA has used in the past. There have not been legal lawsuits on those particular rules, although I must say that those are much smaller in terms of their impact on emitters or, or, or polluters across the country. Uh, but we do have some experience in situations where EPA has used its authority in this place, which is one where the EPA sets the destination and states figure out how to get there. And they've done that with smog. That's you know, ground level pollution that comes from cars. And EPA has had strong enforcement. Uh, the EPA has the ability at the end of the day to draft its own plan for a state that doesn't want to get along. And uh, the question will really be, uh, does the enforcement of these regulations change the resources that the EPA has besides uh, teams of lawyers and the ability to issue edicts? I mean, how much on the ground enforcement will have to be done here? That's one of the questions that uh, we'll be looking at. Susan Tierney, thanks so much. Thanks, John. Susan Tierney served as the Assistant Secretary for Policy at the U.S. Department of Energy under President Clinton. She's now a senior advisor at the Analysis Group.